Colossians 3.22. Uh, it's pe- found on page 834 of the Pew Bibles. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. A Harvard professor had given an assignment to the entire class and was handing back the papers to his students. At the bottom of one of the papers was written these words, Is this the best you can do? The student thought, No, it isn't. So he redid the paper. It was handed it again, and and he received the same comment, Is this the best you can do? This went on ten times, till finally the student finished the paper. He handed it in to the professor in person, and he said, yes, this is the best I can do. And the professor replied, well, fine, now I'll actually read it. (laughs) When it comes to doing our jobs, is it the best we can do? When it comes to serving the Lord... Is it the best we can do? When it comes to leading our homes and and loving our spouse, responding to a need, showing up for worship, preparing to serve, following through on our commitments, can it be said, yes, this is the best I can do? The direction for this morning, quite simply, is to present a case for excellence. The takeaway is that God deserves our very best. God deserves our very best. The value statement says it this way. We value striving for excellence in everything we do because God is worthy of our best. Let me say that again. We value striving for excellence in everything we do because God is worthy of our best. Now, this suggests that we believe that God cares about excellence. That we, it, it suggests that, that we believe that he deserves the very best we can give, the best of our time, the best of our abilities, our energy, our strength, our creativity, our thinking, our caring, our best efforts. And the question that could be asked as we serve him, give to him, and obey him, is this the best you can do? Is this the best you can do? We conclude our series this morning on values-driven living. We've been working our way through the values that ought to drive us to do what we do as we keep our eyes on forever, on what really matters for all of eternity. We come to our last value this morning, 
But certainly, it isn't to be viewed as the end of our discussion on values-driven living. Our desire as elders is to keep these values before us as we seek to carry out the mission we are called to as followers of Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you of that mission again. We exist to glorify God by making disciples through sharing the gospel of Christ and his unconditional love. We exist to glorify God by making disciples through sharing the gospel of Christ and his unconditional love. Church, let's be committed to doing that and to doing that well. The very best we can. Now, while there are no particular priority given to these values, but rather they are to be seen as simultaneous rather than sequential, this final value was placed last intentionally. It is the value of excellence that caps off all the other values. Each of the prior values is reinforced by this final value of excellence. As we speak of of, of the other values, we strengthen those by adding, we will strive for excellence in living each of these out. We will give our best in living in community. We will give our best in worship. We will give our best to our spiritual growth and and to our evangelism efforts and to our living in dependence on Christ, our walking in the Spirit over walking in the flesh. We will give our best. We will not settle for mediocrity. We will not settle for whatever. Why make such a big deal out of our giving God our best? Well, for starters, we ought to strive for excellence to God because of his consistent excellence in his giving to us. We ought to strive for excellence in everything we do because God has given us his very best in the giving of his one and only son. We ought to strive for excellence in everything we do because we do exist to glorify God, to give praise that is due his name, to honor him with our first fruits not our leftovers. We value, here it is again, we value striving for excellence in everything we do because God is worthy of our best. Now, let me speak very briefly to what striving for excellence is not. What it's not. You're going to walk away this morning. I can guarantee this. You're going to walk away this morning with some real tension around what this does and does not mean. That's okay. Work it through the scriptures. But let me get some of that thinking started by suggesting a few things striving for excellence is not. Okay? Excellence is not the same as perfection. Not the same as perfection. As my tendency is toward perfectionism, you're supposed to all go, no, really? But I I need to keep that in check. I need to keep this in balance. It doesn't mean, because we strive for excellence, that everything will be done perfectly and that there's no place for human error and mistakes. doesn't mean that. Also, striving for excellence 
is not an excuse to becoming a workaholic. Need to hear it. You need to say that. Also, striving for excellence is not about seeking approval. Striving for excellence isn't the same thing as being extravagant. It's none of those. But to be a church that God is building, we need to be a church that pursues excellence. Not for our pride. Not to look better than some other church. Not to, not to be worldly, but because we serve a God who deserves nothing less than our best. Now, there are several passages that could have gotten our attention this morning. There's a lot on this subject. We could have gone as far back as Cain and Abel, in which it seems that, that Abel gave his best to the Lord, but not so with Cain, and God was not pleased with Cain's sacrifice. We, we could have looked at the temple that Solomon built for God, under God's orders, under God's instructions. There was nothing shabby about the place that would house the very presence of God and become the meeting place of worship for the Israelites. Read it sometime. We could have looked at the, at the days of the prophet Malachi and how the people, having returned to their native land, were offering God not their best animals, but those that were lame, sick, and diseased. In other words, God was getting the people's leftovers. Their second best. We can see throughout biblical times that the people were to give their best because God deserved their best. We see it in the New Testament as well. It wasn't the widow's amount that mattered as she dropped in two coins, but that she gave the Lord her best, all that she had to live on. Mary opened up an expensive jar of perfume and what seemed wasteful to some bystanders was was commended by the Lord Jesus as she poured that perfume all over the Lord. She did what she could, Jesus says. She gave her best. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says, just as you excel in everything, in faith, knowledge, and love, See that you also excel in giving. Give their best. Excel in it. And weren't there some followers of Christ who only went halfway and had excuses for not following him completely? And and wasn't the church in Laodicea rebuked for being lukewarm, wishy-washy, half-hearted, mediocre? It'd be better if they were either super cold, completely cold toward the things of the Lord, or fiery hot for the Lord. But this half-heartedness sickened the stomach of God. There's much in Scripture about giving our best. Now, the passage I landed on is none of those. Uh, uh, Rather, the book of Colossians, chapter 3. You can turn there if you're not there in your Bibles to Colossians 3. That was all introduction. That was just the free stuff. When we come to Colossians 3, we come to Colossians 3, and the verses that we're going to be focusing on here are part of a larger section having to do with the way we relate to others. The verses I read 
to open up our worship this morning. The, the verses that Owen read a few minutes ago serve as bookends to Paul's words about relating to one another. Now, follow along as I read some of these verses again. After Paul speaks to our relationships in the church, he says in verse 17, get this, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then Paul's going to speak to husbands and wives and children and parents and slaves and masters. And in essence, he's saying this, whatever you do, must apply to those relationships. He then says in verse 23, whatever you do, there it is again, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Whatever, whatever is the Lord's will. There's a certain attitude we ought to have in Whatever we do, it covers all that we do. Why this attitude? What is the basis for such an attitude, for striving for excellence? Well, Paul gives us three reasons in our passage here in Colossians 3, three reasons that we're to strive for excellence, to give our best to the Lord, for that to be our attitude. First of all, the first reason that we ought to strive for excellence, to give our best, is we carry the name of Christ. We carry the name of Christ. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, it says in verse 17. Since we live with him and Christ in us, that means his name is on us. And if it bears his name, it's worth our best. Whether by lips or life should be done In the name of the Lord, it says, verse 17. Whatever you do, it makes no difference what it is. Do it passionately because you're doing it in his name. Now, I ask you the question, what does it mean to do something in Jesus' name? Commonly, we close our prayers by saying, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. What's that getting at? Well, it is Jesus who authorizes our coming into the presence of a holy God. That's our only way to him is through Jesus. So when we pray in Jesus' name, it is at least that. But you know what? It is more than that. It is more than that. Because what we're saying when we pray in Jesus' name is in essence is that this prayer is a prayer that Jesus would endorse. You know, just as we sign our name to a check authorizing the withdrawal of money to pray something or to do something in the name of Jesus Christ is affirming that Jesus could sign his name to it. That's what we're saying. This prayer right now, Lord, you could sign your name to it. You could endorse it. This thing I'm doing for you right now, you could sign your name to it. You could endorse it. So whatever we do, whether it's a task we find tough to enjoy or an activity that gives us great pleasure, responsibility we have to carry out, anything we choose to do, we can say, I'm doing this in the name of the Lord, implicating him. Implicating him. Are we thinking about it that way? 
But what difference would it make if we, we thought about that and everything we did, we carried the name of Jesus. We want him to sign on and endorse it. This, this word that I'm about to speak, this activity that I'm about to participate in, Jesus could sign his name. Jesus would endorse it. This task, this responsibility is being done in such a way that Jesus could sign his name to it. He would endorse it. If so, then we are free to enjoy it to full measure. If so, then give your all. For heaven's sake, be passionate about it. Throw yourself fully into it. It's been said, there's nothing as sad as a man who is mediocre at what he loves. I like Jim Elliott's well-known words. I think they're very fitting here. He says, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. And whatever we do is God's will. Live to the hilt. I can't help but, but think of Eugene Ormandy, conductor of the Philadelphia Orchestra. And one of the symphonies he was uh, conducting were the words written in the margin of of his page here that he was leading the orchestra in. On the margin of the page said, as loud as possible. So Ormandy gave his all. A few bars later in the margin were the words, louder still. So the conductor conducted with even greater enthusiasm, and he was getting into it. He was so into the piece, giving him all himself to it, that he dislocated his shoulder. (laughs) Now that's enthusiasm. That is one who gave his all, his very best. And I ask myself, when is the last time I hurt myself giving my all to the Lord? And all that we do, don't just do it, but do it full throttle because we carry the name of Jesus. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, there it is again, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Is that how I am approaching all that I do? We belong to him. His reputation is shown through us as we conduct ourselves before others. So it matters how the job is done and the effort given to it. We carry his name wherever we go and whatever we do, because we call ourselves Christian, follower of Christ. We carry his name. Writer and speaker, Guy King was leading a children's special service retreat at a resort on on the south coast. One morning, he was out walking along this beach when this little boy, about 10 years old or less, had heard him speak the night before. And and, and he heard him speak at this conference. And and he caught sight of, of Guy King and he said, Mommy, here comes the Jesus man. He only meant that he was the man who spoke to the children about Jesus. But Guy King heard those words from this little one, and he was deeply touched by his remark. And he said, what right had I? What right have I to be called a Jesus man? 
What degree of resemblance is there about us and all that we do? Whatever we do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that a reason to give our very best? A second reason we find in this passage for giving our best is that we have been given overwhelming reasons for gratitude. We have been given overwhelming reasons for gratitude. We find in these verses 15 through 17 the call for gratitude three times. The first time is at the end of verse 15. Paul says, and be thankful. Or better translated, become thankful. Grow in thankfulness. We ought to grow in thankfulness. We ought to be more thankful today than we were a year ago. That's the first time he mentions gratitude and thankfulness. Second time, we see this call for gratitude at the end of verse 16. We're told to sing with gratitude in our hearts to God. Now, the word translated gratitude in the NIV in verse 16 could also be translated grace. It is in some of your versions. It says we ought to sing with grace in our hearts to God. NIV says, with gratitude in our hearts. Uh, King James says, with grace in our hearts. Well, which is it, gratitude or grace? I think the answer is yes. (laughs) Both ideas work in this context. We sing out of gratitude for God's grace. We respond out of gratitude for God's grace. You see, when I, I begin to understand that God decided to love me so much that he gave his son's life to bear the penalty for my sin, the only reasonable response is for me to come to God and say, what do you want from me? No matter what it is, Lord, you deserve it. You deserve the best. C.T. Studd said it this way, He said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Nothing. And I consider that the one who gave up his son for us will also graciously give us all things, it says in Romans 8. The only reasonable response is for me to give him nothing but the best out of gratitude to him. Loved ones, ingratitude, ingratitude should never mark believers. We have been given overwhelming reasons for gratitude. Paul then says it even a third time at the end of verse 17, as we've already seen, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. There it is again. Giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Here's my observation. If we're struggling to give God our very best, one place we ought to look is at our level of thankfulness. Have we forgotten all that God has done? And not only can we be thankful for what he has done, but also thankful for what did not happen to us this past week. Someone said to me this morning, I'm thankful I didn't hit a deer this morning. (laughs) Good thing to be thankful for. They were this close. 
There are all kinds of things we can be thankful for. What didn't happen? What didn't happen? See, a life of thanks to God and everything ought to just spill out in whatever we do. I mean, don't we have overwhelming reasons for giving thanks? Our response of gratitude can be seen in giving him our best. Why? Because he deserves it. Because he's done so much for us. A pastor routinely wore a rose boutonniere on the lapel of his suit each Sunday. One Sunday as he was leaving church, a young boy stopped him and asked what he was going to do with that flower. The little boy quickly added, Pastor, if you're just going to throw it away, I would like it. Well, the pastor asked the young boy what he was going to do with this flower, and and, and the young boy replied, I'm going to give it to my grandmother. You see, my mom and and dad divorced last year, and I was living with my mom at first, but she remarried and wanted me to live with my father. He went on to say, so I lived with my father for a little while, but he said I couldn't stay, so he sent me to live with my grandmother. And the boy went on. She is so good to me, Pastor. She cooks for me, and she takes care of me. She's been so good to me that I wanted to give her that pretty flower for loving me. The pastor could hardly speak. His eyes were filled with tears. He reached up and he unpinned the rose and with a flower in his hand, he he looked at the boy and he said, son, that's probably the nicest thing I've ever heard. But you can't have this flower because it's not enough. I want you to go to the front of the church and you'll see a big bouquet of flowers. Please take those flowers to your grandmother because she deserves the very best. And the boy had one more thing to say. He said, what a wonderful day. I asked for one flower, but I got a beautiful bouquet. That's a thankful spirit. One that guides our living, so we want to give only the best to the giver of those gifts. And we come and we start our day and we say, Lord, just get me through it. And he does something far better than that, and he gives us a whole bouquet. And we don't think he does because my eyes aren't open to seeing it. We have been given overwhelming reasons for gratitude. We carry the name of Jesus with us. Those are reasons to give the Lord our best. The third reason we are to give the Lord our best is we work for the Lord. We work for the Lord. Again, go down to verse 23 in Colossians 3. Whatever you do. Whatever you do, Paul says, work at it with all your hearts. Whatever you do in life, whether that's your job or taking care of your family or serving in the church or or going to school or or trying to get in shape or looking to, to deepen your relationship with Christ, Paul says you should work at it with all your hearts. And that phrase, work at it with all your heart, or in one word, heartily, It means from our very soul, from our innermost being. The idea is that we are to pour out our very life that we have, pour it all out, and whatever we do, giving our all to it. That means we shouldn't just try to get by in life or only look busy when someone is watching us. 
or pretend we're doing our best when in reality we're just winging it. No, it means that no matter what we do, we need to do it wholeheartedly. Why? Paul answers that in the rest of what he says here in verse 23. Let me read it again. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Why? As working for the Lord, not for men. Who's it all for anyway? Well, the end of verse 24 answers that clearly. Who's it all for anyway? It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That jumped off the page to me this week. It's for him. It's for him. Think of the Christian woman in London whose job was to clean houses. And as she entered each home, she would turn to her helper and say, let's clean this house as if Jesus were staying here tonight. Like that. So whatever it is, we do it for the Lord. Let's write this paper as if Jesus was going to read it. Let's sweep this floor as if Jesus would soon be walking on it. Let's sing this song as if Jesus were the only one listening to it. Let's conduct this meeting as if Jesus were our guest of honor. Let's speak to each other as if Jesus were standing right there taking it all in because he is. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Is working for the Lord, not for men. It is the Lord Christ we are serving. That's true. Doesn't he deserve our best? A committee once asked Enrico Caruso, the great tenor, to sing at a concert that would benefit a charity. And the chairman said, now, of course, Mr. Caruso, as as this is a charity affair, we would not expect much from you. Your name alone will draw a crowd of people, and you can merely sing some song requiring little effort or little skill. Caruso drew himself up and replied, gentlemen, Caruso never does less than his best. As followers of Christ... We should have that same attitude. We never do less than our best for God. We work for the Lord. He will reward us accordingly, it tells us here. Are you doing your best? Are you doing your best? If not, why not? Is it because you're trying to do too much? Is it because your heart is no longer in it? Is it because you're more concerned about pleasing others than pleasing God? Is it because we're buying into this lie that that more is better? And what area is the Lord getting less than the best? What leftover is God getting right now of your money, of your time, of your energy, of your talents, of your motivation, of your worship, of your heartbeats? Are we settling? In the movie Thelma and Louise, Louise gives advice to her friend Thelma, who's telling how she has learned to accept her unhappy and frustrating life. Thelma says to her, well, you get what you settle for. You get what you settle for. 
Are we settling for less than the best? We're saying this is all it is. Whatever. Whatever. Whatever you do is the work well done. Are you giving God the most excellent sacrifice of your life? And we need to apply this excellence to what we do as a church. We should never allow our programs, our ministries, our tasks, whatever it is we're given to do, to be substandard and just say, well, it's good enough for us. Whatever is God's will. Whatever we do, whether it's preaching a sermon, teaching a class, gathering for worship, setting up chairs, fixing refreshments, leading our youth, whatever it might be, whatever we do should not be substandard and below par so we simply shrug and say, well, it's good enough for God. Because anything is, isn't it? Not true. Is that true? Is it anything is good enough for God? I want to challenge that. Are we aiming too low? Are we operating without standards? Have we slipped to the lower, lowest common denominator, which is anything is good enough for God, and we become part of a, a manageable mediocrity that often marks our movements? And is it really whatever? the whatever is settling, the, the whatever of mediocrity? Or is it whatever it takes? Whatever it takes. It's a running controversy in art circles as to who's the greater. Michelangelo, the pupil. Bertoldo, the teacher. And the great teacher, Bertoldo, knew that gifted individuals are prone to just kind of ride rather than develop. And he warned Michelangelo repeatedly about this. Don't keep writing. You have some abilities. Develop, develop. But to no effect. One morning, Tyler walked into the studio and he watched Michelangelo as he was puttering on a little piece of statuary. Tyler went over and he picked up a sledgehammer and he batted the piece of statuary into a thousand pieces that ricocheted, ricocheted all over the room. The stunned silence, Tyler shouted, Michelangelo, talent is cheap. Dedication is costly. Talent is cheap. Dedication is costly. Are we serving without sacrifice? Is it costing too little to serve the Lord? Are we just kind of riding? In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says to Timothy, do your best, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Will we be ashamed? Do we have a plan for doing our best? Or are we just settling, kind of going with the flow? Are we intentionally striving for excellence in whatever we do? Or are we passively going through our days with a whatever attitude? 
I leave you with these words by Howard Hendricks. He said, I never met a man, I never met a man who sat down and planned to live a mediocre life. Let's pray. God, help us to understand the importance of giving our best to you. If we don't have plans to do our best, to maybe rearrange our schedules, to say no to some other things, I don't know what it is, Lord. You know how to personalize this. But if we don't plan in that way, we will just ride along this life. Because no one plans to live a mediocre life. It just happens. May we rise above that. May we not aim too low. May we give our best to you because you are deserving and worthy of our best. In Jesus' name, amen.